So just some quick review. Um, this, this book opens with, it's an introduction of the author, uh, and there are different views on that, but I, I, I'm under the impression that it is talking about Solomon, and your knowledge may vary on that, depending on who you might read. Um, one of my favorite spiritual commentators doesn't believe it was Solomon, which I found fascinating. And, and But even though he's one of my favorites, doesn't mean I agree with him. And usually, if I don't agree with him, that, that, that usually means that I believe that he is... <laughs> some mistaken. Look at that. You would think that. Yeah, you would think it would be. And, of course, he was king of Jerusalem, and so that narrows it down, and the wisdom, and uh, which is out of First Kings chapter 8. But there are other reasons why others believe somebody might have written this. Um, so, um, and then you have the statement of the theme of this entire book, which is in verse 2, is vanity of vanities, uh, according to NIV. Um, Meaningless, meaningless, right? Uh, the New American Standard says futility of futilities. And the Holman, or the Christian Standard Bible, just translates it absolute futility. So that's really the theme of the book. And then to back up that theme, you have kind of a poetic summary that we've been looking at in verses 3 through 11. We got kind of through verse 7 um, uh, last week. I was going to try to get all the way through 9 or 10, and you all laughed, and so I guess I didn't disappoint you because uh, we didn't quite get through all that. Um, but you have this description in in uh, 5, 6, and 7, the acts of nature. You have the earth, the sun, the wind, and the water, and... Um, where you have um, really all, all this stuff remains constant, and yet some of it remains unexplainable, especially with the rivers running into the ocean, yet the ocean is never full. And, of course, we know that the reason why that is the case is because primarily where we get our water or rain from is from the ocean because the water, what, evaporates. So... Um, but they didn't really have a full grasp of that particular concept um, at that time. But, uh, and, and so he, he's looking at these things through nature and saying that these things happen. A generation goes, verse 4, and a generation comes. The earth remains forever. So he's almost looking at the earth remaining forever or the constant or consistency of the weather patterns, nature patterns, and you almost get the impression he's bored. Right? Now, remember, they did not have TV or the Internet. They didn't have Netflix. Um, what am I missing here? All kinds of stuff, uh, social media of any type. And, and so they, they sought to, um, in many respects, they sought to allow nature to amuse them a bit more. 
than, let's say, than we do today. Um, and it appears that he's almost bored when he describes these things. Everything, everything uh, remains the same. And, you know, you're talking about the wind. And the north, the south, that would be more, you asked about that last week, Daniel, and, and you said because the wind blows from the west here. But that's true, but this wasn't written in central Oregon. <laughs> we have to remember that. So, you know, it, you know, that was more referring to the prevailing breeze. And actually, a lot of the wind orientation in many places, even though there, it's not true north or true south, uh, there is a north-south orientation uh, to a lot of, um, in fact, all, the whole, and the reason why I know this is because I used to be an air traffic controller, and runways are configured based on prevailing winds. And just about every major airport or even minor airport in the Central Valley of California is almost a, a north-south orientation, which I found interesting. Um, so for whatever that's worth. Uh, and for Pat, who you can pass along to her, a guy named Henry Morris. You, some of you may have heard of Henry Morris. Uh, he, he believed the same thing as Wearsby. In other words... Solomon wrote this at the end of his life. He wrote Song of Solomon at the very beginning of his life. And as he matured, he wrote Proverbs. And then toward the end of his life, looking back, he wrote Solomon. That's, that's Morris's take. And he, he has some good reasons, but um, none of them are out of the text, right? But still, I, I think he, 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 he may very well be right. Um, so the, the thing is, as I, as, as I thought about this, um, Romans 8, I've got all these Bibles, I'm not sure which one to use. I need a fifth one. Romans chapter 8, um, and I might have shared this with you last week, but I, I don't remember, but I think it's, it's good to take a look at this again. And right around verse 20, forget Daniel's in the room, so I've got to go chapter and verse because of his program. It says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains uh, together until now. Um, so going back to this on, on verse 20, where it says the creation was subjected to futility. So I'm reading out the new, uh, new King James. Creation was subjected to futility. NIV might have something a little different. Um, interesting. Okay. Frustration. ESV. Or, well, I have it. well, I don't have it. Futility. Okay. It's the same word in the Greek. The word futility uh, in Romans. It's the same word in the Greek that is used to translate the Hebrew word that we have for vanity, which is habab or habib or habeb. Yeah, that's, that's better, habeb. So it's the same Greek word. So Paul it could be playing on this idea a little bit. Um, and yet, in the book of Psalms 113, Verse 3, I've got a new King James, I've got a King James translation here. It says, from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. So, you know, as I thought about this, because you have, you have, you have these verses that refer to, um, to 
God's goodness in creation. We're seeing that um, in the book of John. Just, just starting to touch on it, really, in the first chapter. Because, uh, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, um, and, in the, and he was in the beginning with God. All, and then all things were what? Made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. I might have missed a word or two there, but essentially that's the first couple of verses of John 1. Because he's taking us back to the creation narrative, which can only really be attributed to God. One of the things that I think it was Gregory and Nysa talked about um, in part of his commentary on John 1. I didn't include this on Sunday. But he, he talked about this, this combination of the logos, the word, the preaching of the word, the expression of the word, and the act of creation that both of them essentially preach. Or to use Psalm 19, they declare the glory of God. Definitely the logos does, right? It declares God's glory. But also Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, his handiworks. And, and so there's this, really, in, in the scriptures, there's this idea of nature really being a testimony to the goodness and the orderliness of God. Uh, now, nature is fallen. It's all fallen. Everything's fallen. But there is still a sense of orderliness, orderliness, and there is still a sense of goodness in, in creation. Um, and so, um, in other pa- I'm looking for one here in my notes, but uh, other passages talk about the blessings of God, how he gives us in the creation that he created for us. Because, I mean, the whole world could be like Antarctica, Right? Poor Daniel wouldn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> you know, but, you know, we, we really do have the, these blessings that God gives us. And I think it's Psalm 104, verse 3. Um, it says, he lays, talking about God, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. It's a creation narrative. And he makes the clouds his chariot, and he rides on the wings of the wind. So, I mean, tie that into what we're looking at here in Ecclesiastes where it's talking about the water, it's talking about the winds. Um, and here, yet God is in control and, and, and sovereign over all of that. And, and so, as, it, as I thought about this, here's the question. When you're looking at verses 4, 5, and 6, and 7 of and actually, part of eight. I'll get into that in a moment. In Ecclesiastes 1. And when you compare what is written in that chapter, in that little portion, to passages like, the heavens declare the glory of God, to passages like, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name will be praised. But then you want to throw the curveball in, in all of... All of uh, uh, where it says that all creation itself is subjected to futility. So you're getting both sides of the coin. What are you to make of that? Is, is Ecclesiastes, is he being negative? Is Solomon being negative? Is he being, definitely doesn't sound like he's being positive, so, but I'll throw that out there just for fun to give you an alternative. 
uh, if you say positive, then I want to kind of ask you a few more questions to wonder what's going on, right? Uh, is, is it a neutral observation? And how do you view nature? Well, let me push on you on that because you're a scientist, right? Um, isn't, you know, you, you get symptoms from a patient, and so you're making, coming up with a hypothesis, right, based on what you have observed, right? So I, I think I think nature does elude that sometimes, but also part of what this is saying, and, okay, disagree or agree, because nature can be pretty brutal. Um, some of you, with the exception of Bill, Go outside in mid-January dressed as you're dressed right now. You know, and, and nature's brutal. Or, you know, um, some of those people who like watching those weird shows, Wild Kingdom was like one of the first, where the, and here comes, you know, the lion that kills the wildebeest and all that other stuff, you know. Um, but, so, yeah, I, I think... I think it is partial knowledge because I think when you make a diagnosis, you're pretty certain. But I think there's sometimes room for error in that, isn't there? At least we hope not. You know, at least not with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I, I like what you're saying because I'm thinking of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was prophesizing that you're going to go into captivity. Now, the false prophets are saying, no, you're not. Now, who'd you want to believe? They believed the false prophets. But Jeremiah also said, go and surrender and go and they will be good to you and build houses and plant vineyards and plant orchards and reestablish yourself because this is, this is part of God's will. This is part of God's plan uh, for the nation of Israel as a way of preaching the gospel of grace to us, but also specifically for those individuals who lived through that and who lived through the 70 years and who either died prior to the 70 years or for whatever reason elected not to come home, which I'm still trying to make sense of that one. But most of them did not come home when they were allowed to go home. But then even more so for those who did go home and and what that preaches to us in the books of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah and so um, so I, I think I think part of this could really be a call to to really to bloom where you're planted which I don't always like to be honest with you um, because even in that Jeremiah speaks of this Psalm 1 speaks of this. And it says that uh, we will be like a tree planted beside the water. Um, and I'm going to read it to you instead of trying to misquote it to you. How's that? No, it's not Psalm 1. I thought it was Psalm 1. No, it is Psalm 1. Okay, I'm back. Uh, verse 3. 
Well, verse 2, and, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And uh, Jeremiah takes this and, and speaks it into uh, Judah's life. In the book of Jeremiah, when he's telling them, you know, uh, you'll be like, you know, even though you go through the times of drought, uh, your leaf will not wither. And so uh, I think that's part of what he's referring to. Again, this kind of this reading John opened this up for me. And then reading, um, again, the creation narrative and reading what Gregory of uh, uh, Nisa had to say, 4th century Cappadocian father, uh, had to say about how the fact of creation preaches. And, uh, you know, a sunrise, for some of you who bother to get up and look at them, uh, or the sunset, or just the mountains themselves. And, and, and so then to, nonetheless, where you have this description of nature, in verse 8 you have all things are wearisome. Or in uh, Ecclesia, uh, in, in the New King James, it says, all things are full of labor. Wearisome might be a better translation. I think the ESV says wearisome uh, on verse 8. Now, there's a theory behind this. All things are full of weariness. Yeah. Um, now you see why I have so many Bibles tonight. There's a theory behind this. Um, And the thought is, is that when those who did the Masoretic text, they kind of changed around. Now, in, in Hebrew, punctuation is really difficult. And it's, it's, it, I won't say weird. It's just very different. Uh, it's not like commas and um, colons and semicolons and periods and things like that. And they're usually little dots or what's called a tittle. Uh, Jesus spoke about it, right, in, in the Gospels. And they will shed all kinds of different meanings on a particular word. Uh, but there, there's a theory that, that they, they didn't really get the punctuation of this line correctly from verse 7. It says, uh, all the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. In other words, they, that there's a theory that believes that the first part of chapter or verse eight should have been attached to uh, verse seven. Now, remember that the chapters and the verses are not divinely inspired. They're helpful, um, but they're not divinely inspired. So he's talking about. Again, part of this theory then says, are you talking about nature and saying how, how wearisome the whole process is? Uh, some interpreted that to, to, to strike the boredom. Uh, you know, that he sees nature, he sees the wind, he sees the rivers, he sees the sun, and it's like he's bored with it um, because of the mundaneness. Or you can look at the, not this as the mundaneness, but you can look at it as the, the sense of... Um, consistency of God's provision. There's two different ways to look at this. So, you know, 
that that might be part of a half full, half empty scenario. But um, anyway, that's that's one of the views on this one is is that part of verse eight could flow into verse seven because I read I read so much about verse eight and didn't throw out my notes because I thought it was wearisome of 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 the analysis of what what they're trying to do with this is a very difficult verse to translate out of the Hebrew is, is what they were talking about and so they're they're uh, they were having a lot of trouble with it and um, notice it says no one can tell it the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor is the ear filled with hearing so you have three of the senses there right telling is what speech and then eye is seeing of course and and then the ear is hearing and and so um What this, where it says no one can tell it, the literal translation could be in this, uh, a man cannot speak. That could be the little, literal translation of, of, from Hebrew into English. But again, literal is a relative term when you're translating languages, but particularly something is very different as Hebrew compared to English. Um, that's how the, this particular line where it says no one can tell it, or in the E uh, in the New King James, it says um, man cannot express it, or man cannot tell it. A man cannot, excuse me, a man cannot speak. So this isn't really talking about someone who does not have the ability to speak physiologically. Um, or even intellectually, but but it it's it's part of this idea of speaking and seeing and hearing, and when it's all put together, it's really saying that man doesn't really have anything to say. It goes back to what the scientist said, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you observe, but you're like, yeah, you know, God's involved with it, but I think when you think, I don't know, when I think, your mileage may vary. I think the hardest thing to discern is to discern and understand the will of God. And along with that, similar thing to discern and understand the purposes of God and, and why things occur as they do. And, um, you know, I, 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 Mary has said it from time to time, I wish you would just write it in the sky. Um, hopefully in English, not in Hebrew. But no, yeah, <laughs> you know, so we could actually read it. But... Um, but that, 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 and I think there are times that we really, because we're pressured into giving an answer, we will speak perhaps before we've really thought and prayed about something. And particularly, I think when we're looking for an answer, I'll, I'll, 
when I'm looking for an answer, I will ask God to give me an answer, and then I sit quiet for a period of time. Or I'll even take breaks between my period of time of quietness, right? You can only sit quiet so long, and then you start getting weird thoughts in your head, right? <laughs> At least that's the way it works for me. But, but yeah, what's that? Why are you pointing at him? Weird thoughts, and you pointed at him. No, anyway. Uh, yeah. So, so, you know, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, and the ear is not filled with, uh, nor is the ear filled with hearing. And there was, there, there's a, you know, it goes back to that theologian, um, gosh, what was his name? Um, the lead singer for the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger. I can't get no, it was me, I think. I think I just bumped something. Um, I can't get no satisfaction. Right? So, uh, nature's doing what it's doing. And he's, the, the, Solomon's going through life. And you have to think he had a pretty good life all in all. Deuteronomy says that you're a king was not to, because Deuteronomy, basically the Lord says in Deuteronomy, you're going to get a king eventually. And you are not to increase women, money, and horses. What's that? So money is wealth, obviously. Women is lust. What's horses? Power, exactly, because it's the military. Um, more than one president probably should have read that, but anyway. Kings, too. I mean, when you, when you read First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, particularly in the northern kingdom, Israel or Ephraim, they rarely had a king that was any good. I mean, they went from one bad king to another bad king to another bad king. Um, Judah was a little better, but not much. Um, but, you know, you see, but you're not satisfied. You know, which is interesting because I, I saw my neighbor kid yesterday. She's riding her bike. Now, of course, we live in a, you guys must have been out where we live, a real quiet neighborhood. She's riding her bike, and she's doing something while she's riding her bike. You know, she's not, you know, she's got good balance. She doesn't need to hang on to the handle, you know, the handlebars. I don't know if she's texting. I don't know if she's playing a video game. But it's like, you know, you think with all the stuff that we have, and yet, what do we do? You know, I, I remember years ago, it was, it was Mother's Day. We went out to dinner. Couldn't get reservations. You can't usually on Mother's Day anyway. And uh, so we're sitting. We had to wait. We had to wait at least an hour. But, you know, you either wait an hour or you go to McDonald's, right? 
And so we went to, no, we waited. And um, just about everybody in the waiting room was playing with their cell phone. I thought it was interesting. You know, and our grandkids were really little at the time, and so Mary let them play with hers, just, you know, grandkids, little kids. You've got to entertain them. But the whole time, they're engaged with Grandma while they're doing it, you know, so. But, you know, and it, it's like all this visual stimulation or even hearing, what do, you, what do people do? Some people turn on the television just for background noise or they got to get in the car when the first thing they do. They got to listen to the stereo or whatever the case. Or, you know, how many people have you heard about? Probably not many in the grand scheme of things, but people who are running in trails out in the wilderness and they got the headphones on and they get jumped by a cougar, right? You know, uh, but they couldn't hear it because they're, you know, they're listening to whatever, you know. And and still, um, man cannot speak. So it, it, he's really hammering home the futility of how we interpret life, how we engage with life, and what is our place in, in the things that we see, the things that we hear, and how do we respond to them. And then he goes on to say, what has been is what will be, and what has been done, it will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Okay, so it was... Uh, this really goes back to, um, it really does tie into verse 11, which I'll read to you as well. Uh, there is no remembrance of the earlier things and all the things and the later things as well, which will occur. There will be no remembrance of them among those who will come still later still. In other words, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it or condemned to repeat it. So uh, it was, we'll blame this on Harvey. I, I didn't know what was going on in Afghanistan last summer at, at first, and I saw on his Facebook, he's got a picture of, of 1975 Saigon with a helicopter taking off out of the embassy right next to a picture of a, the same, it's a, it's a Chinook, same type of helicopter taking off out of uh, uh, Afghanistan. You know, um, those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. And what, is, what has been done it, it is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. So, there's, so things are cyclical. I've read a few things of comparing Stalin to Putin, for example. Um, And, you know, what's, what's to take, you know, you, you look at what's happening in Ukraine. And uh, you're kind of like, well, what, how is this really going to unfold? This thing might just still be just getting started. You know, who knows what's really going on? I don't know. Um, and, uh, but, but it, 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 remi- it re- you know, it reminds me of, you know, he's condemning Nazism, and, but he reminds me also of Hitler. He just speaks a different language and has a different um, political ideology uh, that are both very autocratic. So the further you get on the extremes, the more they look alike, don't they? Really? And, and so um, 
there is nothing new. Although we do have, what's funny too is, is you talk to people who, they, they're still mad because we use cell phones all the time, right? If you talk, you met a few people like that, you know, and I have, and this fun, they're fun. Uh, you know, as if, as if their anger is really going to stop the tide of technological advancement. So how do we, how do we interpret this? Uh, where it says there's nothing new under the sun, and yet 20, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, we didn't have an internet. You know, I remember 35, 35, almost 40 years ago, the chief that I worked for had everything on floppies. He had the big guys, the five, yeah. And, and he, was, he was cutting edge because he was an older guy and he could actually use a computer. You know, and, and he was, he stayed up. I mean, how do you interpret that with, with particularly in, in our lifetime as things have advanced? Remember the telephones that you actually had to stick your finger and turn the dial? I talked to a guy today who he told me, he told his kids or suggested to his kids, they're married, um, with their own family. And he said, you need, he suggested you hold off on buying a house. And let things start to level or actually start to decline. Instead of paying, he, how we put it, he lives over south of Eugene. says instead of paying um, 500000 for a starter home. But um, there's that old saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Right? Or the city, whatever, you know. And I think that's part of what, what uh, Solomon is really talking about here. Even though the situations change, um, how we respond and the heart matter and who we are and how we interpret and how we engage with the things of life um, really stays the same. And particularly, with we've seen that with, with in, as you described it, Larry, but even in our adult life, how often things have changed. And so they become novel for a minute. You know, and, and now what is the, I can't remember, what was the attention span of, of most, like, 20-somethings? It, it, real short. It, it's like less than 10 seconds, I think. And you, you notice in commercials, a lot of times, they will flash you a bunch of scenes. And, and I never process any of that. I just like, oh, that was a waste of my time. You know, you, I see that on the Internet at times. Um, I see that on, you know, churches that do their church commercial before their church service. They do that. It, a lot of them do that, believe it or not. And they're blasting you with like a, 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 a screen per second. And it's like, wait a minute. I didn't quite under- get the first one. Let, now we're on the fifth, you know. And, you know, and, and so... Uh, the thing is, is that technology has, I think, and you would understand this a lot, I think, is, is reprogrammed our way of processing information. And, and so our psychology is, is different, yet we respond the same way. Does that make sense? So, yeah, because there's nothing new under the sun. And 
even back then, why did Solomon say there was nothing new out under the sun unless, in fact, they were attracted even then to what would be considered new? You know, I don't know how many you watch a whole lot of TV, but when you, and of course, um, the way to watch TV these days is you pre-record, and then you watch the program and you fast forward through the, through the commercials, right? But if you watch commercials, see how many times they say the word new in a given commercial. I don't know. I mean, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. When we do, we fast forward through the commercials and life is good that way. You know, so they're not getting their money's worth out of us. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 Harry Ironside, who was pastor at Chicago Moody Church, um, one of his sayings was, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. Now, I think that has to be held with a, with a grain of salt, but I think he, he's, he was also on to something um, on that. Uh, because, and, and one of the comment hitters said, well, man cannot create. Well, I, I think with the assistance of God, we can co-create. I think there's definitely that, especially artists. Um, um, as they do artwork, they can. Re- I think there really is a, an aspect of of man co-creating with God. But but no, nothing is new as far as original uh, with God. But yet at the same time, here's the counter. Second um, Corinthians five seventeen. And I thought I typed it in here, but I didn't. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, In Christ we are what? We are a new creation. Behold, um, all things have, have gone away, and behold, all things have become new, or a new, depending on what translation. 5.17 says that. So how, do you, how would you reconcile that? Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 4 talks about the person who was saved who walks in newness of life. Psalm 42, 3 says we sing a new song. Um, Hebrews 10 says we enter into God's presence through a new and living way. So how would you reconcile these? Or do you reconcile them? Do you have to reconcile them? Don't say it's my job. That's a good question because I think everything is either a tool or an idol when you think about it. And so what is our focus? Um, God is not a God of new beginnings, is he not? The mercies of God are what? New every morning, great is thy faithfulness, is out of the book of Lamentations. Um, which Solomon wrote. So, um, no, actually he didn't. Excuse me, Jeremiah wrote that. Um, so I think, I think in that you still have to hold these things in balance. Always have to hold these things in balance. Verse 10 says, if, is there anything of which one might say, see, this is... See this, it is new. 
It has already existed before ages which were before us. And I don't think it's talking about necessarily the apparatus or the material, whatever it is, you know, the first car that rolled off the assembly line, you know, um, that, that type of thing. But it, it's, it's talking about, I think, our reaction to it. And then uh, the idea of the, the really, the, again, he, he ends this on a futility note again. There is no remembrance of earlier things and the later things as well which will occur there will be no remembrance of them among those who will come later still. It is, it's interesting that all our hard-earned lessons that we have learned in life, all those lessons that we try to pass on to our kids, <laughs> need I say any more? You know, and... Uh, I've got a friend of mine, one of his favorite sayings in relation to his kids or when we're talking about any, anybody's kids, he goes, they'll figure it out. You know, they'll figure it out. And, uh, but their kids won't. You know, or they, you know, they'll figure it out, want to pass it on to their kids, and their kids won't want to listen to them any more than, than they listen to us. You know? But they won't because they don't remember. At least that's what it says here. There will be no remembrance of them among those who will come later still. But they, well, they got mind disease. But I think, I think also with these things, there's a lot of life lessons that have to really be earned. They have to be earned. You can't, you, can't earn, you can't learn them secondhand. You know, what's, what's interesting is... is is, uh, unfortunately, I've been around long enough, and we're almost out of time, and with that, we'll be done. But I remember all the criticisms of the younger generation in church way back in the 60s and early 70s, you know, and how they wanted all of us to stop wearing blue jeans and get a haircut, right? And, And, you know, Stop playing that music and, you know, all of that stuff, right? But it was interesting to me that 40-plus years later to hear the same people who were critiqued turn around and critique the younger generation because of their form and their style and uh, their expression. Because form, style, and expression often, in my opinion, and you may not agree with me on this, but I think form, style, and expression can be neutral. It's just simply a form, a style, or an expression. Now, some of those are, yeah, I don't want to go down that road, but, but you know, the form, style, of expression of the, the hippie generation, um, which was in a huge, you know, I, all my dad's World War II veterans were just losing it, just going nuts, but, you know, with the long hair and all of that. You know, you remember, don't you? Yeah, I know you do, you know, and... Uh, but then again, we, you know, we do the same thing. And dollars to donuts, they'll do the same thing when they're our age. So what comes around goes around. What's that? Well, yeah, what comes, so, yeah, I mean, it's what, 
Yeah. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And that was a, uh, a secular philosopher who came up with that, George Santayana. Anyway, I think he was right. So we're done.